Welcome this morning to Sunday School. Um, we've been studying, um, uh, and started studying, I should say, last week, a little bit about uh, Christian conflict, Christian warfare, um, this this battle that rages. Um, uh, and we, we took a little bit of time to, to go through and see that there are obviously some external battles, there are a lot of spiritual battles, there are some internal battles uh, that are going to happen and occur. And we began to take a look at um, this idea and concept of where it began, and uh, we kind of ended right over there where we were talking about uh, Satan in his rebellion and uh, his pride being lifted up and uh, the spiritual battle that was there that was an actual battle uh, that you know kind of took place if you will of rebellion against God uh him being removed from his position and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about how that spilled over that conflict to here and earth now uh again the 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 quote that I kind of want to to work with is we look at this is uh, this quote about the war without is the result of the outcome of the war within. So when we start talking about how we deal with temptation in an external manner, how we deal with uh, that battle that takes place in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, when we start talking about those things, it is we realize that that outcome is going to be solely based upon how we respond inside ourselves. And we talked about that over in Romans chapter 7 where there's that war that's in our mind and, and again, uh, that, uh, that uh, conflict between uh, what a person should do and what a person shouldn't do and uh, that, uh, that battle that rages on. And we're, so we're going to take a look a little bit more at that. But also the same thing is true with how we deal with people on the outside. Not just necessarily in, you know, the spiritual battles against uh, the devil and his forces, if you will, but also how we deal with conflicts that occur uh, with other human beings, uh, with brethren, with uh, the unbelievers. How do those get resolved? How do those uh, happen? Uh, or, I, I just, we kind of know how they happen initially, but, but how do we get to a point of where there's resol- resolution with it? Well, it comes back to that issue of what we are willing to do inside ourselves with that yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. So we're going to take a look at a little bit more about that conflict spilling here to earth, the result of that, and then kind of move into how we became personally involved in this conflict. But let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. We'll get started in earnest. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time that you've given to us. I thank you again, Lord, for just a beautiful Sunday that we have. And again, Lord, for the believers that are here, I pray, Lord, that as we endeavor to please you, as we endeavor to seek to know your will, to glorify you in our life, that, Lord, we would do so by having a heart that is yielded unto you, a heart that is willing to diligently listen, a heart that is willing to hearken, and a heart that is willing to do. I pray, Lord, that you just be with me and speak through me as we talk about this subject of conflict, that, Lord, it would be clear um, from your word about what is happening in our lives, how to deal with it, and, Lord, the, the weapons that you've given us and the victory that is there. And, Lord, again, I just pray that you would uh, just bless this time for your honor, for your glory, and for your praise. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. So turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now, we, we, we talked, uh, obviously, over there in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. We saw the, that uh, uh, issue of the, uh, the, the devil, Lucifer himself, uh, falling from, uh, his, from, from glory. Basically, making that determination in pride, in rebellion against God, raising himself up uh, uh, in contrary to God and God's standards and God's beliefs and everything of that nature. He's, he's gone against it. So now he's been displaced. He's no longer has his throne. And, and if you go back over there, you find that he did have a throne, but that throne wasn't good enough. He wanted God's throne. And the end result is, uh, in, in his displaced, uh, um, uh, position in his uh, mentality, he begins to wage war on God's creation. And what we find here in Genesis chapter 3 is this is where he starts. So we obviously have the creation of the world, everything being spoken into existence. We have God forming man out of the ground, breathing life into him, forming the woman from the rib. And now they are there in, uh, in, in uh, if you will, peace and contentment. Uh, there in the garden, doing the work of the Lord, keeping it, as we saw in uh, in that specific passage, to dress it and to keep it. Talked a bit about that as a guardian. And again, the reason why I bring that up is because uh, if you don't know how to be a keeper, uh, a guardian, a, a, a watchman uh, in your life, then, then this battle is going to be a quick one. It's going to be a quick one. Uh, many times, uh, uh, conflicts, uh, wars, uh, battles, engagements are, are won when one side has the element of surprise. And, and I dare say that uh, Christians really shouldn't be taken by surprise, especially if we're walking, walking circumspectly, especially if, if we are being watchful, as he calls us to be, especially if we're being diligent especially if we're going through that process of making sure that we're constantly checking ourselves and checking everything that's around us and the influences. We have to make sure we're aware of that. We have to make sure that we are 100% confident of what is influencing us. Because I'll tell you this, you're either going to be influenced by the Word of God or it's going to be something else. It's going to be something else. And that influence can be just about anything in this world. Some people are influenced by news media. Some people are influenced by the internet. They'll believe anything. Some people are influenced by conspiracy theories. Some people are influenced by, um, uh, uh, the, the, uh, opinion, um, of others. Some people are influenced by, uh, how people view them. Some people are influenced about how they view people. I mean, there's all sorts of influences that are there that we can run into. And the problem is, is we're either going to be influenced by the Holy Spirit and the the Word of God and what God has done for us and what God has given us and the multiple gifts and blessings that we have, or we're going to be influenced by the things of the devil, the things of the world, and things of the flesh. So we have those choices that we make. But here in Genesis 3, we find that uh, obviously Satan shows up in that form of a serpent. And he does a couple of things. He 
uh, goes about having a conversation with uh, with uh, with a woman, uh, has a conversation with her, deceives her, uh, and in turn, Adam looks at the situation and he willingly sins and commits rebellion against God. Their eyes are opened; they they immediately experience that emotion of fear. It's the first time fear shows up. Now, I'll tell you this, it, it's interesting to see fear shows up when sin shows up. So it should always be a, a good indicator to us that there's something that we need to address when fear shows up. So when fear shows up, uh, uh, they go and hide themselves from God. God has a few words to say to them. He begins to go through all of this. And I want you to see here as he goes into this uh, um, this discussion with the woman... <clears throat> Because in verse uh, 13, it says, And the Lord said unto the woman, What is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou, shalt, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, now again, you know, a lot of people look at that and they think that we're talking about the serpent and they talk about, you know, the serpent used to have legs and they didn't have legs and blah, 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 stuff like that. But, but you got to understand God knows who the serpent is. God understands this is just no regular snake. This snake is Lucifer himself. And he's pronouncing more curses upon him, basically saying, you're going to be condemned. You're not going to get an opportunity to ever get into heaven. You're not going to get an opportunity. Now, we understand that he goes up there, according to the book of Job, and, and he has to give an account and so on and so forth. But but his his days, he, he, he's gone. He's done. He, he's, his place is no longer in heaven. And so what we see here is here he is being cursed, but I want you to see what happens here. And he says, because of this, because of the conflict that you've now created between God and man, there's going to be a conflict between you and man, between the devil and man. In verse 15, he says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so he's going through and he's, you know, uh, saying, here are the consequences of all these actions. He goes into the woman and then he goes into Adam and he begins to discuss what, what the, the consequences are. But he, he addresses this here. And some people will take this and they'll, they'll begin to look at it and they, they think in a physical form at first and then they start trying to make it spiritual and so on and so forth. And they say, well, all women hate snakes. I actually know a lot of women that like snakes. Why? I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, snakes are snakes, whatever, you know, people can do whatever they want with them. To me, I'm kind of indifferent. Now, if it was a spider, that'd be a totally different story. You know, those things are just creepy. Snakes, I have no problem with. I have no problem handling them. Um, you know, I'm aware of which ones are venomous and so on and so forth, things like that. Yeah, And you just generally don't mess with them, Okay. You know, they're, 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 they're harmless. We have snakes that live, uh, you know, in, in, uh, by our house. And uh, I won't kill them. I'll let them, I'll let them go. Why? Well, they're going to keep the mice away. They're going to keep, uh, you know, other little critters away. They don't keep the bunnies away. The bunnies, well, bunnies just love our overgrown grass. And I'm like, you guys need to get moving a little bit more here. I want to. I want a whole herd of bunnies so I can use them to, ch- you know, I don't have to mow the grass any longer. Just chew it all down. That's obviously not going to happen. 
But, you know, people will say, well, 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 that's the seed that he's talking about. That's not the seed that God's talking about. He's not talking about the seed of, uh, uh, of uh, the, the snake and the serpent in this world. He's talking very specifically here when he's talking about between thy seed and her seed. He's talking about the things that the devil produces. The things that the devil produces. And there's, a, there's multiple ones that are there. And we're going to see that in just a second. But what we see here is that we see a conflict that begins between the two. There's always going to be a conflict. The devil's agenda and man's agenda do not coincide. That's like trying to say that, that in World War II, Germany and Japan's uh, uh, um, ideas fit together. Now, I understand that you know they would call them the Axis, and then there was always the Allies and things like that. But, but, but let me let's let's be clear on this: Russia's agenda in World War II was not the same as uh, as Britain or the same as U.S.'s agenda. We, we, we realized that very quickly in the conflict. Well, we needed their help. You know, obviously, you know, when it comes to the way that uh, um, Germany thinks uh, of Japan, there eventually would have been a conflict between the two when the two met. If Germany had been able to take over and do all of those things that they wanted to do, there would have been an eventual conflict between Japan and uh, Germany. Why? Because they don't align. They don't align. And I dare say that man's mentality and the devil's mentality don't align, but neither one of them align up with what God wants. Neither neither of them do. Turn over to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, as we talk about where it began and, and how it's now spilled over to the things here on earth, we see that conflict that's raging. We see that obviously when he's talking about that prophecy in, in uh, um, uh, Genesis 3.15, and he's talking about, if you will, it, it, it's it's a gospel. He's talking about that seed um, of the woman. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And what we find here in Genesis, or in First John chapter 3, um, as you go down through this in uh, um, in this uh, this passage in verse seven, it says, "Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous." He, he, he makes a very very profound statement, if you will. You know, if you're doing what is righteous, okay, you, you've got this down. But if you're doing sin, that righteousness is not there. And in verse 8, he says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. This is what he was prophesying about over in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The works of the devil is, yes, this is the reason why we have a, 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 a decrepit state that we have right now on this earth. There was an introduction. Yes, I understand Adam's culpability in this. I totally get it. He does have a liability with what happened here on earth. And so does Eve. But yes, it was introduced. It's that, what is referred in the legal sense, the but for. But for him not coming to this earth as the serpent to deceive mankind and destroy God's creation, Adam would not have sinned. 
But what we find here is we find that he did do this. And, and what happens is, is God said, well, this is the, what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come and he is going to destroy the works of the devil. And because we, again, we go to the book of Revelation, we see clearly what happens. Now look, while there was victory that was won on the cross and in the power of his resurrection, sin still exists today. Those works of the devil still exist today. Well, how do we know that? Well, let's just go watch any news broadcast. I don't even care if it's CNN, all right? You will see that there is sin in the world. If you watch CNN, you will definitely see there's sin in the world. <laughs> Not only in the way that they present it, but also with what they are presenting. But what you eventually find here is that you go over to the book of Revelation, <coughs> pardon me, and you get to the point where over there in the book of Revelation, after the thousand years, after Satan's been bound, what happens? He comes out. Turn over to Revelation chapter 20. We're in the general neighborhood of the book of Revelation. <clears throat> and I want you to see this conflict. You know, this conflict started in heaven. And this conflict is going to end. God is going to end it. And we see in verse uh, 1 of uh, Revelation chapter 20, and it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him to the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. That little season is kind of an interesting little phrase. Because you jump down here a little bit in verse 7. It says, when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of, uh, of the earth, Gog and Magog, and gather them together to battle, and the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up under the breadth of the earth and encompassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down uh, from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented uh, day and night forever and ever. So we see there's the end of the devil. The devil does not get saved. <laughs> that, that, that's a heresy, okay? That, that, that's, that's borderline blasphemous heresy when people say stuff like that. <clears throat> that's the, that's the uni universalist uh, salvation mentality is that in the end, everyone is going to be saved, including Adolf Hitler. Well, if Adolf Hitler did not trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's going to burn in hell, and then he's going to burn in lake of fire. I mean, that, that, that's the penalty of his sins. And I'm fairly certain, just based off of the things that he said and the way that he treated Christians, Adolf Hitler was not saved. Nobody can argue that. Anybody that does try to argue it, you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it's going to be a hard sell. That's going to be a real hard sell. But I'll tell you this, what happens after a thousand years? Now, I want you to imagine this. Jesus Christ comes back, and he sets foot on this earth. And, of course, there's the, there's the Battle of Armageddon where they try to keep him from coming. And that doesn't end well for mankind. The Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, 
They're all thrown into the lake of fire. Those that try to repel God are slaughtered. They're destroyed. We know what it says, talks about, you know, the valley, uh, the slaughter is so great that it goes up to the horse's bridle. The blood. That's a lot. That's a lot of dead bodies. That's a lot of stuff going on. But as we go through this, here we have a thousand years of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. And we have actually quite a bit that discusses what the millennial reign of Jesus Christ is like. There's some peace. There's some restoration of the things here on earth. People are living longer. You know, it's said that if somebody dies at a hundred years old, they're considered a babe. Like, whoa. You know, remember old Methuselah, 969 years old? Those guys living over there to be 930 years old, 950 years old. All of these individuals are living close to a thousand years. Now think about that for a moment. Stuff like that being lifted. Some of the curse off the earth being lifted. We're talking about times of prosperity and we're talking about times of, of just, you know, the fruitfulness of the earth being revealed of what it would have looked like had Adam continued without sin. There's a lot that the Bible talks about it. And sometimes people get that mixed up with what they think heaven is. But you you go through and you realize he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about things here on earth. Now, when we get through all of that, after all of those things, the devil is loose for a little season. And what does he do? He sweet talks again the nations into attacking Christ. And this conflict is just like, I mean, it's like good grief. And guess what happens? Mankind falls for it again. So we know that at this point in time in Revelation 20 is when the works of the devil are destroyed. There's a new heaven, new earth that's created in Genesis or in Revelation 21. We see that that's all all to being taken care of. There's no sin. There's no sorrow. There's no sadness. There's no death. All of those things being taken care of. Praise the Lord for that. That is an amazing thing. That's when everything is destroyed. And those are things that we do look forward to. But till then, (coughs) we've got a bit of a fight on our hands. We've got a bit of a fight on our hands. Go over to the book of Matthew. I want you to see something here. And this really starts to align this co- this conflict. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> so we see that obviously, you know, the, the devil is against God, and there's always going to be that conflict, okay? So we get that. We understand that man and the devil are going to be at conflict as well, but at times will, quote-unquote, ally themselves with the same purpose and become children of the devil themselves. Children of disobedience, children of darkness, children of wrath. And we'll see some of those things. But God makes it clear. There's only two children in this world. Either you're a child of God or you're not. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. The way to become a child of God is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Not even the nation of Israel, who are God's chosen people, are automatically saved because of who they are. They, no. If they practice Judaism, even according to everything that was in the book of Moses, uh, you know, all of those, uh, uh, the, the, the five books, even if they do all of that, 
That still won't get them into heaven. Paul makes that clear. Paul makes that very clear. And especially in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. So the end result is, is we see that, that, that a person's going to have a choice. They're going to be a child of God or they're not. And a child of God is, is, is very clearly has certain benefits. And the child of the devil, the child of disobedience, the child of wrath, child of darkness, all those, 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 the, uh, the opposite of have condemnation upon them because of what they've done. And, and God will execute justice accordingly. So what we find here is we kind of go through this chapter. I want you to see something in Matthew chapter 12. And if you will go over there to, oh, take a look here at, um, <clears throat> chapter 30. <clears throat> Chapter 30. Um, now, this is all based on what he's saying here in verse 24, where the Pharisees heard it. They said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. They're basically saying, well, all the stuff that he's doing is based off the fact that he's been given by the power by the devil. Well, <clears throat> they kind of got that backwards. They were the ones that were following after the devil. And he goes through and he starts talking about all of this. But I want you to go down here to verse 30. He makes it very clear. Now, if there's one thing that is very evident, is that if a person is against Christ, like the Pharisees were, they're against God. In verse 30, it says, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. God makes it clear. You're either with Jesus Christ or you're not. And a matter of fact, he makes sure to note there in verse 30 that you are against him. When you are against something, you don't like it, you don't want it, and many times you will fight against it. That's the mentality. That's what happens in this life. So, you know, there are things that are put out for votes. There are things that are put out for candidates. We've got some stuff coming up here shortly. All of this stuff that's there, I will tell you this, you you know, there are certain things that you're going to be against. There are certain candidates you're going to be against. And in my opinion, a whole lot of them need to be voted out. (laughs) But that being said, what we have very clearly is is you're going to be against something or you're going to be for something. You're going to be against something or you're going to be for something. I want you to go over to the book of First Kings. I want you to go to First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18, and here's Elijah talking to, to the, the people of the kingdom of Israel. He's having a conversation with them, and he gets up there in, in verse, uh, oh, uh, verse 17 of, of First Kings 18. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that he have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather me all Israel and then to Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400, which did eat at Jezebel's table. So we've got 850 prophets here. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel, uh, sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. 
And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Now, here's the situation. Here's what, what, what Elijah's talking about. You've got to choose a side. There's no Switzerland here. There's no neutral parties in this. And this is what we're looking at from where it began. We find there's God, there's Lucifer, and then there's man that gets caught in the middle. And man, his general will is not aligned with God unless he has a relationship with God. Unless he is a child of God. Unless he receives Christ. You're either going to be for him or you're going to be against him. If somebody's with Christ, they're for him. If they're not with Christ, they're against him. So somebody can't say that they're a Christian and not believe that Jesus Christ is God. People can't say they're for Christ and they're a Christian if they say that they support things that are contrary to God, such as sin. Can't say that. Can't say that. So you're either for God or you're against them. And this is, this is where some of this conflict comes from. So if you take a look at this, you begin to realize that conflict is everywhere. Conflict is everywhere. You're not going to escape it. You're going to have conflict in your day-to-day life, whether it's external or whether it's internal. We're going to have this conflict. Turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> so again, you're either going to be for him or you're going to be against him. Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 16, in verse 20, here we find again a a bit of another point of prophecy where he says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Now, obviously, you know, he, he is talking about some, some key deliverance for these specific Romans at this time. But he's also making clear that this is something that is prophesied over there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This becomes the theme of the book. Every time Satan tries to rise up, squash. Every time he tries to do something, squash. Now, again, there's a lot of things that we need to understand. When sin rises up in our life, the very first thing that we need to understand is that it needs to be bruised under the heel of God. It needs to be squashed. So when when Satan tempts us, or we tempt ourselves, it doesn't really matter. When temptation comes, and sin's there, and we succumb to that temptation and we follow through and we execute sin, we need to have the correct response according to Psalms chapter 51, and we need to say against thee and thee only have I sinned, and we need to squash it. It has to be crushed. It has to be crushed. And again, destroyed in its entirety. But I want to go back to this issue of Satan's seed, and I want to point some things out. So let's go back over to the, to the book of First John, in First John chapter 3. And I want to point some things out. <clears throat> now, while they're not necessarily begets specifically of him, that seed, that mentality, that desire for sin, this is where this stuff comes in. <clears throat> now... <clears throat> 
who did Adam and Eve have as their first children? Cain and Abel, right? Cain killed Abel, then along came Seth. So here's Cain, right? Now, we know his parentage, right? Adam and Eve. Take a look at verse 12, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. Here's, here's part of this seed of Satan. <clears throat> he says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore uh, slew he uh, him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. And then he goes into, he says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. The world hates righteousness. Oh, my word, do they hate it with a passion. They hate it with a passion. They hate anything that has a moral standard. They hate anything. And here he is talking about this, and it says, Cain, who was of that wicked one. Now, was 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 Lucifer Cain's daddy? No. But from the mentality of it, yes. He made a decision of who was going to be his authority. Who was going to reign over him. Who essentially he was going to listen to as his father. So what we find here is that very distinctly, Cain made a choice to ally himself with the wicked one. To destroy works of righteousness with evil. Now, obviously, we see in the in verse eight, we know that God's going to destroy evil with righteousness. But what we find is we find that these are individuals exist in the world. Go over to John chapter eight. <clears throat> if you ever go through and you read the book of John <clears throat> and get to John chapter eight, you find this discourse of uh, where things start getting really hairy in this conversation really fast. <clears throat> because again, we find these Jews and they're they're all talking and. And uh, pretty soon you get to a point of where they start accusing Jesus Christ of lying, and they start talking about all these other things. They start calling him an illegitimate child. They start saying that he's not really Jew. I mean, they they pulled every stop out to try to insult Christ. But what what happens here is uh, <clears throat> he he, he uh, in verse uh, forty one, Jesus Christ says to them, "Ye do the deeds of your father." Now again. In John chapter 8, verse 41, he is not talking about God, and he's not talking about Abraham. He's talking about a father figure and authority in their life. In, in verse uh, uh, 41, is, they said unto, uh, then said they to him, we be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. So now they're, now they're throwing barbs. Now they're just throwing, you know, jabs and anything that they can against him, basically saying that he's illegitimate. That he was born out of wedlock, that he is, uh, you know, if you will, what the terminology in scripture is, is a bastard. Well, that's not good. Because here comes Jesus Christ in verse 42, and Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth, and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. 
Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You ever start arguing with somebody or debating with somebody, and they just absolutely will not listen to logic and reason? <coughs> Left. Um, <laughs> it happens. It happens. I, I, I have a, I have this meme saved in my phone and it's, I, I, I really don't want to ever use it. I just look at it and I just kind of chuckle and laugh. And, and, and it's, you know, it's a situation based off a game show and stuff. And it talks about, you know, you know, arguing with, uh, with somebody that's a liberal sometimes is, uh, is, you know, it just doesn't matter. All the points that, that are made just don't even matter. It's like they just completely throw everything out. I mean, you just think of this logic for just for a second. <clears throat> All of a sudden, we are now in, so faced with a situation where, you know, the Supreme Court might actually start talking about Roe versus Wade, abortion. And people are freaking out, right? Well, what's the end result? People are sitting there saying, oh, this is a big problem. And then as soon as anybody that is a man steps in and says something, they say, you can't say anything because you're a man. You can't carry a child. But then in the same category, they turn around and they're putting out emojis of a man that is pregnant. Because they say that man can get pregnant now. How? We just threw science out the window, but we got to believe science. At that point in time, I'm done. There's no sense in arguing. This is kind of, and I can kind of see Jesus Christ at this point. He's going back and forth, they're going back and forth, and he's just like, okay, fine, here we go. Let's, let's, let's clarify it. You guys can't understand what I'm saying. Let me, let me, let me lay it out for you. Verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil. <laughs> and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He basically called him a liar, a murderer, and child of the devil. All in one verse. <clears throat> he just laid it out for him pretty plain and clear. Now, obviously, that made him very upset. Very, 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 very upset. And then they begin to, again, say that he really wasn't a Jew and so on and so forth. They still aren't listening. They still aren't listening. But I want to point out, he says, you're the fa- of your father, the devil. This is that seed that he's talking about. Now, <coughs> that seed is going to be at enmity with the woman's seed, which is Christ. So if somebody comes along and they ally themselves with the mentality or the thought processes or the influence and the lusts of the devil, then they are going to be against Christ. Now we got a battle. Now we got another fight. Go over to Matthew chapter 21. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 2. Can't even read my own handwriting. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 2, and I want you to see this here in, in, in verse 16. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts uh, uh, thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was uh, uh, fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice uh, heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. Herod is a dirty, rotten, filthy man. He is so keen on keeping his power in place, which is, again, a satanic mentality, he goes through and he begins to wipe out innocence. Children. Children. You know, that is straight from the, the, the heart of the devil. That is straight from the heart of the devil. Well, why is he trying to do that? To destroy and eliminate the prophecy in Genesis 3.15. Satan is still fighting that prophecy. Satan doesn't want any of this to happen and occur. And he's going to fight to the very end. Talk about being determined in that which is wrong. But this is the mentality. That's the seed. That seed is that mentality that exists there. Now, here's how we get involved. I want you to turn to a couple of passages. Let's go over to the book of uh, uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be involved in a conflict. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and in verse 18, here's Timothy talking to, uh, or excuse me, here's Paul talking to Timothy. Timothy's having a a bit of a a conflict of some issue here, uh, and he's receiving some instruction. And in verse 18, it says, This charge I commit unto thee, in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, Son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went out before thee, uh, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Now here's a, this verse is loaded, and we're going to get back to this verse a, a little later on when we start talking about weapons. He's talking about the word of God, the prophecies before, and with them is how he's going to fight the good fight. Look, you can't fight the good fight. You can't do what God wants you to do unless you have the Bible involved in your life. Unless the Bible is in every aspect of your life. Unless you read it, study it, meditate, memorize it, and pray over it, you're not going to get any victory in your life. It's just that simple. He makes it clear to Timothy. He says, all those things that were written beforehand, here's how you're going to war a good warfare. Here's how you're going to fight that fight. And he points this out to Timothy. And he's saying, you're going to have this fight. You're going to have a conflict. He says it again. Go to chapter 6. Go to chapter 6. Chapter 6, and in verse 12, here he says to him, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, where thou uh, art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. He says, fight a good fight. Fight a good fight. Do you ever see a, a, a bad fight? Where the guy just doesn't want to get involved in the fight? 
He's just getting pummeled. It's like he's thrown the fight. You know, he, he, he purposely goes out there and sticks his jaw out so he can get smacked. He purposely goes out there and, and does things. And that's not a good fight. God wants us to fight a good fight of faith. Of faith meaning we're believing and we're obedient to the word of God. So what we find here is here he is telling Timothy, you're going to have to fight. And there's a reason why you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight a warfare. You're going to have to fight a fight, but you got to fight it the right way. The right way. The good way. There's good and there's bad. There's right and there's wrong. God only has one way which, which we're supposed to fight. I mean, we've got this verse that's right up over here that says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The minute you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were drafted into the Lord's army. And there is no such thing as a non-combatant or a conscientious objector. You are going to have to fight. I dare say you've been fighting most of your life. You've been fighting most of your life. I want you to take a look at a couple of passages. Uh, go over to um, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, and in verse 1 it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times uh, past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan himself, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience. He goes on to talk about it, how um, that uh, there's children of darkness and there's children of light and children of disobedience in chapter 5. Again, he talks about them. Talks about and refers to them as children of wrath. You go over there into First John and he says, uh, anybody that is essentially against Christ is anti-Christ. You know, everybody's looking for the Antichrist. They want to see the Antichrist revealed. Be very, very careful because sometimes that mentality can be in you. When we disregard what God tells us, we can have that spirit of Antichrist come. And John says the spirit of Antichrist is already here. It's already here. I mean, we saw it right over there in John chapter 8. They were against him. Matthew chapter 12, they were against him. And the world's been against him ever since. So everyone's looking for this one guy, I dare say, that that spirit already exists today, and there are multiple antichrists in this world today working actively. And sometimes that same mentality influences us in our life. So we have to combat against that. But I, I point this all out to say beforehand, before you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were anti-Christ. You were against him. You weren't believing him. You were not saying he was of God. You weren't believing in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection uh, for the purpose of eternal life. You weren't in forgiveness of sins. You weren't believing any of that. You were against it. 
You may not have been actively going out there as an atheist plotting and planning and trying to destroy it. You may not have been out there actively burning Bibles or, 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 or firebombing churches or, or, you know, hunting Christians down like Paul did. But I'll tell you this, you were definitely against him because you weren't doing anything for him. You were warring against God. You are, you are at war with God. James chapter 4, turn there. James chapter 4, he points this out. <clears throat> James chapter 4, <clears throat> here he's talking about fighting that happens within, but here, you know, or, or, you know, within churches and things like that. But in James chapter 4, he says, ye adulterers, in verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever will be a friend of this world is the enemy of God. Before you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were a friend of the world. Weren't you doing all what the world wanted you to do? Weren't you following the world's wishes? Weren't you following the world's pattern? Weren't you following, as he read over there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2? Weren't you following after the prince of this world? Prince of power of the air? All of those things? The end result is, is you were an enemy of God. You made yourself an enemy. You made yourself an enemy. You chose to be against him. Here, a perfect example. Go over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Running out of time here, but Acts chapter 9. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 9, in verse 1 it says, And Saul, and this is soon to be Paul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him uh, letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So here he is on his quest to destroy Christians. Verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him uh, a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Isn't that an interesting thing for Christ to say to Paul? You know what that means? That the Holy Spirit the whole time was sitting there going, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're fighting the wrong battle, 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 you're fighting the wrong enemy, you're fighting the wrong enemy. And you know what Paul did? Turned it off. And he was mentally if you will, just in a hardship. He said, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Why? Because Paul had a knowledge of the Scripture that excelled many people. But he still disregarded all of it, just like the Pharisees did. Because he was one. Because he was one. And the end result was, is you know what? He was at war with God. He was at war with God. 
But then something happened. Right here on the road to Damascus. A conversion takes place. A transformation takes place. A rebirth takes place. A new creature exists. And guess what happens? With all of that comes this. A new fight. It's a new battle. Look, once you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you shouldn't be fighting against God anymore. (laughs) The end result is, is you're now fighting a different battle. You're fighting against principalities and powers, spiritual darkness. You're fighting against that. You're also going to be fighting against what the world wants, what your flesh wants, what everyone else wants. This time you're fighting for God. You're fighting for Him. And there's a very big difference about now who is the enemy. Now we're going to take a look a little bit more at this next week because we see very clearly that the main issue with all of this that comes up, this battle and this this fight, is based off of Proverbs 13.10. Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. So where's the origin of all origin of all these fights? The pride in Lucifer, the pride in man against God and his will. And we'll find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be uh, dismissed for a brief moment for uh, with some prayer. And we'll be back for 11 o'clock service. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for what you've given to us from your word. I pray, Lord, that we would take these things and begin to realize this battle, this fight, and what we need to do in this life, Lord, is to very clearly make a stand. To stand for the things that are true, to stand for the things that are holy and righteous and perfect, according to your will. Lord, to do them. And we know it's going to be a fight in this life to do those things, as everything is against us. But Lord, with you, we now have a new fight against those things. And Lord, we're no longer fighting against you. Pray, Lord, we just come to a realization and an understanding of that. And, Lord, we would seek to do your will and glorify you and please you as soldiers in your army. And I ask and pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.